1: welcome back to the two stars one cup podcast here on the hockey podcast network I'm Shippy. and as always joining me here on the podcast is my main man Craig Ludwig Luds how are you doing today man ship how's it going
0: today
1: uh pretty good it's a little cold you know
0: 27 out here on the lake I know what
1: what's going on man what's uh do you have any uh advice for me you're from Wisconsin you're you're well versed in uh, how to survive cold weather do you have any tips for me I'm not used to this.
0: I'm just gonna shake my head because it sounded like you were underwater again. <laughs> oh, I
1: did. Yeah. Oh, No. Well, yeah. I was asking if you had any, if you had any tips about how to survive the cold weather. You know, you're from Wisconsin. You should have plenty of those, right?
0: Well, is it beer? I say it, but I'm climatized now, so I go back to Wisconsin in the summer, and everybody's jumping in the lake and on the boats and stuff like that, and I'm sitting on the boat with a sweater on. So, and it's do, 80 degrees.
1: Do they judge you for that?
0: No, I'm already judged. (laughs) That that ship has sailed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, you know, one guy that was judged before that he joined the Dallas Stars heavily by this fan base was Corey Perry. And he had a really cool, um, you know, interview with Saad Youssef with The Athletic. And Saad just kind of talked to him about some of the things that, you know, he learned with his time with the Dallas Stars. And basically, you know, they they talked about, you know, he, he talks about, you know what? I guess he was able to do, and you know he, he enters a new room. He's a veteran presence, but he's a new he's a new guy joining the Dallas Stars. And one thing that's highlighted throughout Sod's piece is that you know Corey Perry seemed to be one of those guys that really stood up, you know, in the room, and you know when the guys needed to rally against the Flames, you know, he said, "Hey, this isn't over." You know, momentum switches really quick are you concerned at all about him missing from this lineup? Or do you think that the stars still have enough of that veteran presence moving forward that, you know, that, that, you know, they can afford to lose a guy like Perry who's still an unrestricted agent.
0: You know, I, I think that, um, Jim Nill has tried this a couple times and I don't know if it makes a statement about his room or not, but you remember when they brought in Patrick Sharp and, uh, Oduya and, and that was, uh, kind of the same concept is bring some of that experience from players that have been there, done that won three cups in Chicago. Um, and then they were both gone and, and then you, then you have to go back to that well, where you've got to bring in Joe Pavelski, uh, good signing, obviously great leader in San Jose and Corey Perry. And I think a lot about Corey Perry though, uh, besides the leadership, it was his style of play uh the way that even though the fans hate him here and i've used the, the beaker for beak before i mean you you hate to play against a guy but you love him when he's on your team and yeah what they, but what a guy like perry does is they when you don't have players that are that that are currently on your club that that are playing like that night after night or as much as they possibly can uh and you want them to because that's how they're effective that's how they drag other people into the fight um you you bring those guys in and, and so if you're not going to do it because Once you see that guy doing, especially an older player, you know, and and a guy, the other thing is, you know, Corey got off to a tough start here too. He had a knee injury, so he didn't start uh, his regular season with a new club either. Um, Mm. That wouldn't be easy for him. And and you, it's hard to to speak up in a locker room when you're a new guy. Anyways, now you don't even start the season. So, um, but you, we obviously saw where his value was when the right time of the season comes around, uh, meaning the playoffs, he's there. And again, that, that's all by design. And to me, uh, every team or I just had a conversation with two of our players in our u18 team yesterday that very mm-hmm. conversation. Um, they're those kind of players and if they're going to get to the next level they have to bring that kind of up that's their game if they if they try to play a different way they're they're no good to the team they're no good to themselves um, but those kind of players have a role and they're valuable you know they get in there and, and especially games when you you don't have life on your bench and you just you don't feel it's going well, um, you can put that kind of guy in there and he just goes to work. I mean, he brings his, he brings his lunch bucket and every day to the job and you know what you're going to get. The other team knows what they're going to get from him. Um, You know, it, it's, uh, it's, it really lends to the kind of identity that you want to have with your team.
1: Yeah. And you, you know, just to kind of, you know, bounce off of that, you know, Saad mentions that he shared a line with Jason Dickinson and Rope Hintz. And then after Kiviranta scored his hat trick in game seven, Corey Perry joined um, Ranta and Hints on the same line, and then this was the thing that was interesting. And I, I, I remember this at the moment, but I'd since forgotten it. But Tyler Sagan, you know, he had he had zero goals and just one assist in twelve games. And in game four, five, when he was moved to the line with Perry, he had five points in two games. Is it too much to like give all of that credit to Corey Perry. Or how much do you? How much of that do you give to Perry and his ability to just kind of? adapt and play with whoever's line he's on
0: you know what I I don't I don't think Corey Perry changes his game the way he plays and I I think Tyler what again what it did for Tyler when when Corey Perry's on the ice and especially in the offensive zone there's going to be chaos in front of the net and and there's going to be pucks laying there at the front of the net and I, I say I think I said this last week about Tyler is I thought some of his game when he wasn't scoring he was too much on the perimeter. And, and you got to get closer to the net. And, and again, it's the same things that we worked on yesterday with our guys, is you got to get pucks into goalie's feet. And what Perry does is he brings a pile in there. There's going to be a pile, there's going to be a traffic accident in front of the net. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to get you wanna get a puck and you want to put it in the net, you've got to get closer to the net. That's how you get there, because that's where the puck is. It's mm-hmm. one thing not to have the puck. And then you kind of start to fade away and you look for that open ice because the open ice is you know further away from the front of the net. But when the puck is always in there, if you want to touch it, you got to go in there to get it, and, and I think it's a direct result of, of the way people play on their lines. And, and it's a simple way to play. You know, you come across the offensive line, and for a guy like Tyler Sagan, if he doesn't have the puck on his stick, you better start driving to the net because it's more than likely once it gets across the top of the circles down by the faceoff dot and you haven't gotten it yet, that's probably it's probably going to the net and he's going in there with it, and then there should be something loose laying around.
1: Now remember, if you're joining us live here on the live stream of Two Stars One Cup, you can submit a comment wherever you're uh, joining us, whether it's on Periscope, Facebook, or Twitch, and I can hit a little button, and uh, you know me and Luds can uh, discuss whatever your point is, and we'd be happy to do that. Another thing that um you know Corey Perry talked about was uh Rick Bonus, and I guess just how much everybody in the game respects him, and everybody wanted to play for him, and everybody wanted to win for him. I thought you could really see that during the. Um, you know, I, I thought you could really see that during the place the postseason run that they wanted to win for Rick Bonus. How long have have you had any previous interactions with Rick Bonus during your playing time, or even after your career? And what what do you think it is that made made the stars really want to want to win for him?
0: Well, I, I think what what and he's been around you know, since God was a cowboy. So he's been around a long time. He's been in the league for a long time. He's seen all different teams, all different players, all different situations. And, and for the most part, he's been an assistant coach, you know, his whole mm-hmm. life. And, and I think when you're an assistant coach, you're more of a deliverer of information to the head coach. You're trying to bring some of the concerns, thoughts, feelings of the players. And, and I always said this about Rick Wilson, uh, you know, he was a buffer between the head coach and the players. And, and they do a great job. And so you have a little bit more interaction. Um, you have to you have to make the players feel com- They have to go to somebody when, when, you know, they're not playing enough, whatever it may be. Um, you, they have to be able to talk to somebody. And it's a lot easier to talk to an assistant coach than it is to head coach. Um, and <laughs> to be honest with you, head coaches don't want to hear it. <clears throat> they just want you to go play and play the way you're supposed to. So. I think with with Rick what he does is he's that guy. He's that guy that will start the day off with asking how's everything at home and you know a little chit chat so you feel comfortable talking to guys like that. And what I think what he did is when you become a head coach, now you have to be that head coach too. And but I don't think he drifted too far away from who he was as an assistant coach. And I think it's hard to do that because now when you're listening to guys and kind of talking them off a ledge or you know, their games aren't going right. Now all of a sudden you, you change your tone a little bit because you're the guy in charge. But like I said, I don't think he got too far away from that. I think the guys have always been very comfortable uh, talking to him one-on-one or in meetings and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. you become the head guy and uh, you still keep a little bit of that and just a positive thing for him.
1: Now he also uh, talks about, uh, Jamie Benn in this uh, in this piece by y- uh, Saad Youssef from the Athletic, and he basically talks about you know as a leader, and, and we've discussed this ad nauseum. But he basically talks about you know he's not a rah rah pump up speech kind of guy. He goes out and you know the uh, the opposing team and the Dallas Stars know if their captain showed up that night or not. Now I'm curious to know during you know it seems like from this piece it seems like Corey Perry is one of those vocal guys in the locker room, and it seems like. He's been like that throughout his career. Who was that guy during your tenure with the Dallas Stars? Like, who was the guy that you know if things weren't going well would stand up in the locker room? Was it Hatch, who was the captain at the time, or was it a different uh, different player in the room, or was it Luds?
0: You know what we had a we had a good group of guys. I mean, we did. It was by committee. It wasn't just one guy. And you got to remember mm-hmm. what what Bob did, Gainey, as he was building this team. Um, <clears throat> you know, there were four or five of us that had played in Montreal. Uh, mm-hmm. prior to this and played with bob as a player uh and that's how he was <clears throat> what bob did is he was very quiet when he when he was a captain didn't speak a lot he did his leading by the way he played what is similar to like hatch like jamie mm-hmm. Ben, but when he spoke up in the room you could hear a pin drop and that's yeah. what kind of commanded and it may start out by Taking a stick and breaking a Gatorade cooler in the middle of the room. And all of a sudden you're, you know, everybody's got their attention. Uh we had guys like Guy Carbonell, Brian screwlin Mike Keen, you know, and and those guys have all been captains on teams. They've all been assistant captains. And we had a group of us that, and, and that's what you always try to do is you try to get your team to where the the captains, but we want to get our leadership group, not just four or five of us, to become six, and then it's eight, and then it's ten, and then it's twelve. And what happens is if there are some guys that don't like to play the way that everybody else is playing, they have no choice because every, you know, there's too many there. The numbers are against them. Yeah. You know, so like Darian hatch played, that's why I use Darian and Jamie, some, you know, the similarities to me because hatch was quiet. And, but when, when he was there on the ice, we knew our captains here tonight. And so did the other team. And I've said this about Jamie. That's what I think he did in the playoffs. He stepped up. Um, you know, he took somebody out of each round, a key player from the opponent. He took out of each round. That's all they got there. In my opinion, if he, if he wouldn't have played that way. And, and what he did is he, he found a way, uh, of the guy that has to C on his chest. That was his way to drag the other 17, 18 guys on the team into every game. They played that way.
1: Now here in a second, we'll talk about what, uh, Corey Perry had to say in terms of Miro Haskin and moving forward. But, you know, since you're talking about hatch, and it seemed like, you know, it seemed like this was the case with, with uh, last season's postseason run that Jamie Alexiak kind of became the guy to protect Miro Haskin and much like Hatch would protect Sergei Zubov if, you know, teams decided to take a run at him. Do you think that's going to be the Big Rigs' uh, long-term role with the Dallas Stars? Or did you kind of – did you see him taking that same role that Hatch did with Zuboff?
0: Well, th- I had a talk with Jamie about that. And I actually asked him, I told him, I said, I think he needed to watch some, some video of Darian when he played. If he doesn't remember him, he was probably too young. Um, but that has to be part of his DNA. That's, part, uh, that's a tool that's in his toolbox. And mm. <clears throat> not only that, but when, you, when, when the big rig plays that way in games, the other team recognizes it. And being a big guy, he's 6'6", 6'7", whatever he is, you need a little more time. And so he'll get a little more time and space to make the plays, to get his feet moving. He can skate with the puck. He can handle it well. Um, he likes moving up on the ice. But he has to continue to be a physical presence in his own zone and in front of the net. And that's how he that, – I, I would imagine. That it, I would think so, and I would hope so. That's been part of the conversations with him. You know, that's the way he needs to bring that element. The game has changed, so you have to be a little bit more careful with that, that, that kind of play, but it's still in the game you know, and they want it in the game. They just don't mm. want it like it used to be.
1: Right. And you don't want it to limit, you know, the the stars of the NHL, having them missing games. You know, you don't want yeah. the McDavid's getting but, hurt. You, you know, you want to protect your star players, which makes a lot of sense. You want to keep the best product out on the ice. Now, I thought it was interesting who um, Corey Perry related or who he compared Miro to. He said, I played with Hall of Famer Scott Niedermeyer, Miro reminds me of Scott Niedermeyer so much, the way he can take over a game, the way he skates, the way he just kills plays with his skating, and the way he can get out of trouble. And he's only, what, 21 years old? The sky's the limit for that guy. And there are going to be many Norris trophies on his wall for sure. Is that a, sim- is that a good comparison to you? I know, you know entering <clears throat> the NHL draft before he was taken by the Stars, Lidstrom was the most po- popular comp- comparison.
0: Well, Niedermeyer was the name that was associated with Miro, Uh, for two years prior to we even knew about it. There was this defenseman, you know, he played over in Europe, and, you know, and everybody, you always compare young players to somebody else. It's the easiest way to do it. I think when we're we're talking to young players especially, we use examples. Hey, you know, you remember this guy. That's how you need to play because you skate that way. That's what's in your game. Um, And he just has – Miro's got a calmness about him when he plays, you know, he gets the puck his first two, three strides. He seems like he's at full tilt, but he just kind of glides through the neutral zone. It doesn't even Mm -hmm. hit his legs are so long and he, you know, he's lanky. uh, It looks like, and, but he just, and and when you play against that, um, you know, we had a, I played with a guy by the name of Shane Corson and Corson was a tough player, but in practices in Montreal, when he come down on -on one-on-ones and two-on-ones, it was like all of a sudden he's right next to me, but his legs don't move that fast. Cause a lot of us, we see people's legs moving and they're, you know, they're just churning. So you kind of gauge your speed off of that. And when you got a player that's coming at you and is you, you just got these graceful strides. You don't realize how powerful they are until it's too late. And mm-hmm. that's what I noticed with Miro as he picks up pace coming out, you know, of his zone zone he he's, he's at tight top, top flight in the neutral zone. And he catches the other team off guard and all of a sudden they can't catch him. <clears throat> and I said, last time I said, you know, there's times when, and he's a head manning guy, he gets the puck to the right place at the right time. Um, and, and typically for defense, me like head man, the puck, get it up there. Let the forwards do work. I remember so many times, you know, watching him. I'm like, keep it, you know, because you're, yeah. I can see where, who's ever trying to catch you, you're going to lose them. And all you're doing is you're creating a chase for the other team. And that opens up some other guys, you know, he can take it in. He can take it from one end and get to the top of the circle in the offensive zone and find somebody coming late, some of his forwards. So he, he opens up a lot of ice for, for the rest of the guys on the ice is what he does. And then he plays well defensively. He just has a, you know, he's a special player. He, he, uh, he understands both ends of the ring for a 21 year old in the NHL.
1: The stars, you know, during their, their postseason run, and especially last season before, you know, the, the pandemic hit and, you know, there was a big pause and play for a long time. You know, they, they really started to remind me of the Nashville Predators where they're, you know, you get on the power play and you're good with having both your defensemen back there. You, don't, you know, maybe you're not, you don't feel the pressure to put, you know, four forwards and one defenseman because your, your defense is so good with the puck and scoring. Did you see that, you know, did you see that also with the Dallas Stars? And how do you think, do you think that's, a, um, a necessity in today's NHL to be able to roll out, you know, three different D pairs that you feel really good about?
0: No, I don't think you can use six guys. You're never going to have six guys that can be power play guys. You know, if you have two of them, you're, you're lucky. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, so you have Klingberg and, you know, you have Klinger and Miro that are both power play guys. And so if you can, then it comes down to your forwards. I mean, do you have four forwards that you're willing to put on your first group and four forwards to play on your second one. The other thing that you have to think about, is typically if, if Miro starts the power play and Johnny gets out there, he comes up next, there's only going to be about 30 seconds left or so in that power play because the first unit's taking a minute, minute, 20 seconds, or somewhere in there. So by the time Klinger gets out there, they get in the offensive zone, there may be only 30 seconds to 20 seconds on the clock. The last thing you want is to be out there with four forwards and only one defenseman when it's five on five and they're coming out of the box. So you mm-hmm. got to think about things like that too but I think it's a luxury to have two two guys that can control and run your power play like them. I think, but they're different. <clears throat> you know, I, I think that Miro opens up things offensively with his feet and, you know, and his vision and things like that. But Klinger is just so smooth and silky on the blue line with his hands. And he always seems to find the open guy. That's where, where Klingberg reminds me more of Zubov than Miro would, obviously, because Klinger's got that vision and he can find a seam and, He can both passes through traffic and things like that. So, you know, he's the kind of guy for me that if Tyler Sagan set up on the top of the circle for that one timer that he likes to take, Klinger can find him and he can find lanes through the, you know, through the PK guys. And and Miro probably wouldn't make that pass. He will do something different. He can skate it down low. And when a defenseman on a power play all of a sudden leaves his position, and now you got he's not supposed to be down there. So Mm -hmm. it creates a little bit more. Uh, concern for your penalty killers and who's rotating up top. And so, you know, it's a, like I said, it's a luxury to have those two guys, but, um, you know, it typically comes down to the other four guys. I think a lot of times when you see two fo- uh, two defensemen, uh, it's mm-hmm. because they don't have that fourth forward that can play on the power play. You know, so Dallas has got some options there. And, you know, and again, it's time and score and where are you at in the game and things like that. And so, you know, you're getting into the third period and you got a, a goal lead or two goal lead and you get a power play. You might as well put Klinger and 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 Boltmire out there because they've got to start opening up and taking chances. They got to score sometime in, in that late in the game. So you'd rather have two defensemen back there than a forward back there playing deep.
1: I think that Klingberg is one of the most underrated, maybe the most underrated Dallas star, even as good as he is. Yep. What 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 do you think causes that? It seems like the fan base just kind of has this weird. It's like this really weird polarizing thing, right? It's like Tony Romo with the Dallas Cowboys. You either love him or you hate him. Like, and even now, Dak Prescott with the Dallas Cowboys. It seems like you either love him or you hate him. What is it that – why is it like that with with Klinger and, and the Dallas Stars well, fan base?
0: I think what, what Dallas sees in Klinger is – well, it's what they don't see. It's probably what, the, what he doesn't bring in, in, in his skill and the offensive side of what he does. What they do see at times is how he may play a two-on-one or he may not get beat coming out of the corner, but I think that was early in his career. I think he's gotten so much better at, at positional play in his D zone. And, you know, and again, when you think of Zubov and people mention his name, you automatically go to what he could do with the puck, the way he could pass the puck. He comes up Zuby Zuby was an East West kind of defenseman. in other words, he went left to right instead of North and South up and down the rink. Um, but he didn't, it seemed like he was picking up his picking up speed and he wasn't even moving his feet. It was mm-hmm. very deceiving, but, but Zuby was the guy where he would tell Holly or tell Moe, Hey, don't change for me, go where you normally go and I'll get you the puck. And then after it kept happening and happening, they're like, okay, now I know that I'm going to get the puck from him. But what, what he didn't ne- he never got enough credit for is the way he played in his own zone. Zuby was strong. He had strong arms, strong forearms, not a physical guy, but his position was was textbook, you know, so he understood if he's playing against a smaller guy or a bigger guy, you know, you can't get on the outside looking in. So there were so many times that Zuby could go in there and with his hands. He would have the right position. Then he just kind of pickpocket the guy and go the other way. And he played well in front of the net. And that's where I think Klinger is getting to the next level. And again, Johnny's the same kind of guy because he's not 235 pounds, you know, so. It's tough to battle in the corners. It's tough to battle in front of the net. So your position becomes so much stronger. You you, you always have to, you know, be a little bit more patient when you're going in the corner against a big guy or trying to chase somebody behind the net because they kind of want you to against a, a defenseman that doesn't have the weight advantage. So they can kind of out-muscle you and come out of the corner. So, you know, you just have to think the game a little bit more, I think, from that side of things. But I do think that he's gotten a lot better. But to answer your question, I think it's because some of those, you know, when you try to you try to play with a little bit, too much offense mm-hmm. and but you have to he needs to use that in the offensive zone and not turn pucks over in the neutral zone and so they end up coming back the other way or if you're on your in your own zone and under pressure and instead of just going up the wall with it you try to make a pass across ice you know in your own zone and it gets yeah scoring chance and so but i do think he's gotten a lot better with that and, and again it takes time when you play your whole life you know in a in a country where, you know, there's not a lot of physical play. It's more of all this. And so then all of a sudden you come here and the good thing for Klinger, he, I I expected him to be broken half a couple different times when he got hit, but he's like Gumby. I mean, he, you can hit him and he just kind of molds into the boards and into the glass and he comes right back out. So he's very durable for a guy that, you know, isn't huge when you, when you look at the kid off ice.
1: Now, were you not Gumby whenever you got hit into the boards? Was it a little bit different? How was it different when Lutz got put into the boards than when uh, when when Klinger does? I'd say
0: I was more like a dump truck. You know, it's like <laughs> like an 18-wheeler. I, I think there were times I had coaches saying, when when Ludwig's trying to turn and go from one side to the other, we hear the beep, 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 like a big semi-beep backing up. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I had to play in straight lines. and But I was the guy that I kind of liked the battles in the corner and want to go in the corners with those guys because, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, your game is to beat me out of the corner. My game is to make sure that you don't get out of the corner. So, yeah, you know, again, that and but but like a guy like Klingberg goes about it differently. He, he may say, you know what, I'm just going to pickpocket, and I'm going to take the puck, and I'm going to go. So that's what I mean. It, but that doesn't always happen, especially when you got some forward. And, again, the game has changed so much now. Um, mm. You know, you don't really have a lot of players. You know, it used to be where you had a top line. And then, you know, you're, that second line – was a little, more, little bit more straight ahead. And the third line was a little bit more straight ahead than that. And then the fourth line was just balls out, run people over, you know, and so that that's really changed now because, you know, salary caps and the salaries and things like that, they're not going to pay, you know, a, a guy that, you know, gets in a couple fights a night and, and plays six minutes a night, you know, for, for a million dollars or $2 million that's not the way it is anymore. That kind of started to go away 10, 12 years ago, where if you're going to play, you got to be able to handle the puck. You got to be able to play in all three zones and we got to be able to skate because the game has opened up. The rules allow you to skate a little bit more. So, um, you know, so that, that kind of player really isn't in the game anymore.
1: Now, another player that, you know, it's, it's been well documented. Everybody knows all the injuries that the Dallas stars suffered through their postseason run, but I feel like one of the biggest injuries you know, was when they lost Radek Fox and what he brought to the team, especially when you play against a team like Tampa Bay and how important it is to win those draws and and just, you know, be responsible defensively. <clears throat> um, what did the Dallas Stars miss whenever they lost Radek Fox? And I remember a while back, we you and me talked, and <clears throat> you said that he kind of reminded you a little bit of Kopitar. Do you still see some of those similarities?
0: Your mic cut off. Who are you talking about? Remind me of
1: Radic Foxa and uh, and uh, Kopitar as a, like a player comparison.
0: Um, I don't know. I I don't think he reminds me that much of Kopitar. Is more of an offensive guy, you know, because he's got really good hands and smooth and silky down around the net and he toe drags and things like that. Yeah, I think where where the comparison came in for me was how he plays at the rest of the ice. You know, Kopitar is really good in his own end. He's great in his own end. He knows where to be to help his defenseman out. Positionally, he's great. Um, He uh, is good through the neutral zone. And that's what Raddick is. Raddick to me is, you know, we call him, we call him like the third line, but I look at it like the second line. So what Fox is that when the top line from the other club comes out, you put him out there because he can win draws. He can be defensively. He's, you know, pretty much sound every play on the ice. So, it just makes it frustrating and difficult for that top line from the other club to, to get going offensively. Yeah. And I think the difference is with, with Kopitar is he does that. It's kind of like Bergeron in in you know, they say that he's the, the perfect, you know, forward. Yeah. And, but Bergeron is, he can play it in all three zones. I mean, he can get you 25, 30 goals a year. Kopitar can get you 30 goals a year and still play well in all three zones, down low in his own zone, knows where to be. He can go out there and kill penalties. Bergeron is one of the best penalty killers in the league, um, but I don't look at the the upside, the the offensive upside with with Foxa isn't the same as those two guys. It's the same and the same with Kopitar. And again, you're going to see Kopitar on the top power play unit, you know, on for LA all the time. Radic is, you know, he's not that guy that goes out there. And that, although he could play in front of the net, I think he's got pretty good hands there and he's got great size. So that's the difference for me. Is it's the it's the offensive side of things with Kopitar, but Kopitar plays in all three ends very, very well. Radic does it all. He just doesn't have the offensive upside, probably as a Kopitar does.
1: And it seemed like you know Radic Fox had more of that. He, he seemed like a more explosive player when he was playing under Lindy Ruff than when he was then he than when he was with Jim Montgomery and then Rick Bonus. Is that a system thing? Is it just is that because I, I, I distinctly remember watching. You know, the Dallas Stars make a postseason run and Radek Fox seemed like the best offensive player on the ice at times. Is that just a
0: system? Is it a systematic thing or what do you think could have contributed to that? See, I, I think when when everybody was here under Lindy Ruff, we had an offensive team. Jamie and yeah. Tyler's, you know, they had I, they, I think they had their best year under Lindy. Yeah. The problem is, is we couldn't stop anything at the other end of the ring. Yeah. You know, there were. And at the time, you know, we went through a time there that I think it was the last year that Lindy was here. The goaltending wasn't where it needed to be, so in my opinion, you if your goaltending isn't where you need it to be, you don't play a run and gun system. And all of a sudden, we're getting, we're playing games and you know it's five to three, six to four. It's very exciting. Yeah, but you're not winning those games, and so. Uh, and you could
1: be and, up six to three, and you that lead wasn't safe.
0: Well, you know what, and and it kind of reminds me of like when we were in Montreal and you'd always hear it from the fans outside, like, man, you guys, two to one, one to nothing every night. It's kind of boring hockey and things like that. And I was like, well, at the end of the day, would you rather watch us lose five to three or watch us win two to one and make it to the playoffs and get into the finals and things like that? Oh, no, we want you to win. Well, see, I've always been a believer in coaches coming to new teams. <clears throat> they take a club over, they get moved here, you know, somebody gets fired or whatever it may be. And you have to look at who your players are and you may be this kind of a coach and you've had success with an offensive game or an all defensive kind of game. And, but your players dictate the kind of systems you're going to play. And, you know, you, you come in and, um, but the problem is, <clears throat> and again, Tampa is the, the best example of it. They're an up-tempo team win 60, 65 games a year and they get to the playoffs and they get knocked out in the first or second round. They couldn't finish it. So they ended up moving three, four guys brought in guys Mm -hmm. like Blake Coleman, kid here from Dallas. That's got a bit of an edge to him. Good penalty killer skates. Well, uh, kind of creates chaos around the rink. And there was a little bit more lunch pail kind of the game. The good players were still was the same and points the same and headman's the same. Um, but they brought in some kind of glue guys. And I think that's what, when Lindy was here, um, we we played a system but we didn't defend very well at times and it's not even about the defending so much as our, our goaltending wasn't great there, there were yeah. too many goals that were going in that i would call you know soft goals or they weren't great goals and so when that keeps happening night after night after night i don't think your 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 thought process should be hey man we got we got to start scoring two more goals a game i'm like well keep a couple more out of your net yeah that that may be the way to go because you're going to get into the playoffs and more than likely, that system's not going to work. You know, there's been years where the offensive kind of wins the things. But, you know, for a long time, it's been offense, you know, it'll it'll win you games. But, it, you know, defense wins you championships. So that, I think that's been a philosophy in the NHL for a long time. And a team like Tampa, they kind of had to go back a little bit. Uh, St. Louis, you know, St. Louis went and got some big defensemen, some heavy defensemen. They won mm-hmm. the cup that way. And because <clears throat> it truly is the war of attrition. You know, you're, you're playing the same team every night for 14 days. And and so who's going to push who out of this game? And you may not win game one and it may not pay off in game one or game two the way you wanted it to. But you keep sticking around, sticking around and, and pushing, you know, their players out of the game. That's what it is. It's about winning game six and game seven. I
1: appreciate your time as always, Luds. Always a great time talking hockey with you. Remember, if you enjoyed the uh, the content, join us for our next live stream, or you can like, subscribe, and uh, download the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere that has podcasts. Thank you, everybody. Love to talk to you next week. Cheers.